We're learning about renewing the mind, and the key verses are Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. If they, you have those, if you can put those up. Basically says, that we, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 2, Romans 12, 2, which we went through a bit, which is really our key scripture, says that we are transformed, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So it tells us something we're not to let happen, and then it tells us what we are to do in place of this. God is a positive God. He always, if He's telling us not to do something, it's because He's then telling us to do something to replace it. So He says, do not be conformed to this world. And we looked last week at the word conformed, which is a Greek word, which means to be pressured from the outside, to be made to look on the outside like the thing that's pressuring you. And the example we use is a mold, such as if you pour jello into one of those fancy jello molds my mother used to make. The jello is just liquid when you pour it in there. But it, 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 as it hardens in the refrigerator, it takes the shape of that mold and when you take it out when it's hard and you remove the mold from it that jello now is shaped like the mold a better example really is when they mint a coin I don't think I have one with me tonight but you, you know what a penny is or a quarter and what they do is they take a piece of metal and then they pressure that with a mold it presses right down or it's called minting something and it takes whatever the, the, the mold looks like and it presses that image onto the outside surface it doesn't change the nature of that metal but it changes its appearance and its appearance is ref- direct reflection of what the mold looks like that pressures it well that verse says that the world Satan is using the world to pressure us as Christians so that on the outside we look just like the world We talked last week about the fact that he couldn't keep us from getting saved. He couldn't keep God from putting his nature, his kingdom inside of us. So the very next thing he wants to do is keep that from affecting anybody else. So he does that by making sure that no matter what God's done on the inside, it never shows up on the outside because people can't see the inside, they can see the outside. But we're not to let that happen. What we are to do is to be transformed And the word transformed is a different Greek word. This word means to take what is on the inside of you and work it to the outside. And again, the whole idea here is that what you are in your life can only affect other people. The kingdom of God in you can only affect other people to the extent that it begins to show up on the outside. That's why Paul wrote in one of his letters to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's talking about working it to the outside so that it begins to show up on the outside. And we ended up by the last part of that verse so that you might prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. And we looked over in Ephesians and we saw that there's a great trial going on, and I use that because of my background as a lawyer. There's a trial going on, there's a demonstration going on, and Paul writes that, that, that God wants to prove through the church to the principalities and powers what His grace is like. And we looked at that scripture, so we're in a great trial where as we, as we are transformed, then we are going to be proving, demonstrating the good and acceptable and perfect will of God to who? to all the saints that have gone before us, but more than that, to principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. And that includes 
The angelic forces, the two-thirds that didn't rebel, and it includes the one-third that did rebel. God's not trying to prove His power powerful. He is. He doesn't need to prove that to anybody. He's ultimate power. You don't need to prove it to anybody. But what God wants to demonstrate is what His loving grace will do in people like you and me. And we are testimony, we're, we're, we're testifiers of that. We're witnesses of Him. And that's only going to happen as what God's done on the inside is works its way to the outside. And that's what that word transformed. And then we saw that this is only done by the renewing of our mind. And that's what this whole course is all about. That's what this whole course is all about. We're going to look tonight at some other scriptures that kind of reflect that. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is Paul saying this in the same way in, in a little different ways, but it makes it clear with the principle that we've just been talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. He was telling them some things not to do. Verse 21. If indeed you've heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and you be renewed or changed in the spirit or the attitude or the thinking of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So what Paul's talking about here is that... that, that what God has done for us, it's going to become clear in the next verse we look at, what God has done for us, we're to put on the new one and to put off the old one. And you all understand what that's like, because I hope sometime since you've been a Christian, you've changed clothes. <laughs> I hope you've changed them more than once. Which means, you know, you look at this, whatever shirt you had on or coat you had on, and either because there may be... Um, uh, an odor that you need to change it for or you just need to have a different shirt on or a different dress on or something like that. So you take the old one off and you put the new one on. You can only put the new one on if you have it. If you don't own a Brooks Brothers sh- suit, you can't put one on unless you break into Brooks Brothers and steal one. And so the point here Paul is talking about is that this renewing of the mind, this renewing of the spirit of the mind is a process by which we learn to take off or put aside what the old, how the old person acted on the outside. And we learn to put on the new person. And the process of doing that involves renewing our mind, changing how we think. There's just a little bit of an echo up here. If you could just back, thank you. Okay, all right. So what this verse is talking about is it talks about the spirit of your mind, which is the attitude of your mind, or the way we think. And notice it says that um, in verse 24, that you put on the new man which was or has been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's very important. That you put on the new man, and I just said, you can't put on something you don't already have. This new man was, was, not will be when you get to heaven, not will be when you learn more, was created according to or after the image of God. We'll see that more clearly in another minute or so. In true, pure righteousness and holiness. Over in chapter 1, which we'll look at a few minutes late, few, in, a, in a little while, and we just finished doing a series on Ephesians chapter 1. 
The apostle, the apostle Paul writes that, that, that God has blessed us with all thanks, all blessings and spiritual, uh, spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God chose us so that we would now be able to stand before him holy. And that's compared to God's holiness. And without blame. You say, well, I've got a lot of blame I can think of. We're talking about something we're going to learn next week probably. Your position with God. Holy and without blame. That's the true righteousness that you've been created in. And we're going to learn how God did that. When you came to Christ, the Bible says God took your old nature out. Inner man. Your, inner, inner, your spirit man. What made you who you are. God took that old man out. It says in Ezekiel that, that it was a heart of stone. God took that out and gave you a heart of flesh, alive, unto God. The first Adam, when he was born, created, was alive unto God. And once they sinned, he died unto God. He was spiritually separated from God, from the source of life. God, when you come to Christ, he reaches in and takes that old nature out and he puts a brand new nature in you, which is born of him. That's what born again means. Literally means in the, in the Greek, not just born a second time, but born from above. So God literally takes his own nature, his own seed, and conceives that into you, into your inner man, that now has all of the nature of God in there, all of that potential in there, but it's got to come to the outside before it affects anybody else, starting with you. But it says that you may put on that new man, which has already been created according to or after the pattern of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Just look at different versions of the same principle. Just keep going to the right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and you have put on the new man who is or being renewed in knowledge, that's your mind, according to the image of him who created him. So God put this nature in you, which was his nature, and now that nature, you're getting accustomed to who that nature is. You'll begin to exercise that nature, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and you begin to put him on according to the image of him who created him. God is after nothing short of turning you into the image of his Son, and collectively the church, into the image of his Son. I know when I got saved, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I needed Jesus in my life. And in my living room, I invited him. I had no clue what I was doing. I was in my late 30s. All I knew is I, I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I was a different person. I was in love with everybody I could find. I was in love with the guy that sold me the coffee and donuts who was not the happiest person in the world. I was in love with every lawyer in my office. And you know that was God. I was in love with the nasty partners who, you know, it just wouldn't smile at you. I was just in love with the... I felt like a teenager that had fallen. Something had happened on the inside of me. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was about. What I now understand is God had birthed in me His nature. And there's a joy, a love, a peace that goes with all of that. And I didn't understand all that. I just knew something had happened to me. But as I went on with the Lord and began to read my Bible and began to renew my mind, I began to get some understanding of what it is, and I'm still getting understanding, we always will, until I think we see him, and even then we may still be getting understanding. All right, 
says here, verse 9 says, you put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10 says, now put on the new man who is renewed or being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And this is where we all stand when we come to Christ. We're somewhere between where we were when we were saved and where we're going to be when God finishes with us. God starts with the inside. God changes our nature. You've heard me say this over and over and over again in altar calls. That I have, we have in our front yard an apple tree. I think it's, I don't know, it's a crab apple. It's an apple tree. I don't know because it never produces apples. Why? Because it's, it's not very healthy. But if I wanted it to look, wanted people to think I had a pear tree, I could go to the store and I could glue pears on the branches. And it would look to anybody, unless you really knew trees, it would look like a pear tree because we would see pears on them and we identify the type of tree something is usually or type of uh, fruit something is by the fruit that it bears. So when I've been in Florida, we've been driving across the state of Florida, you go through these huge groves and I'm no great genius when it comes to trees, but I know they're orange trees because they're full of oranges on them. And if I'd grown across some others, that they're grapefruit trees because they've got grapefruits on them. That's not a great revelation. But if I stuck pears on this apple tree, that doesn't change it into an apple tree. It just looks like an apple tree. But the problem is the first time the wind blows or it rains, those, pear, those pears are going to fall off of it because they didn't come out of it. They weren't produced by the nature of the tree. They were produced by my works or my effort. And when we try to change ourselves to be more like Christ on our own effort, it's like trying to glue Christ on the branches of your life. And it won't last under pressure. He's got to come out of our inner nature. And the process of renewing our mind is the process that God has ordained to do that. And this is what this is talking about. So we're all somewhere. If you're in Christ, if you've given your heart to Christ and received Him as your Savior, His nature is in you, but you're somewhere in the process of this transformation, of this changing. And that's why it's important to understand not just why renewing the mind is important, not just how to renew the mind, but then the techniques we're going to learn to to help us to learn to do it. Very practical things to do. Okay, now, before we get into this, I want to just back up a second, and I want to talk about how God sees you if you're in Christ. We hear a lot about, you know, this these people have a self-image problem. I've got a terrible self-image problem, and that's the problem. We have our own self-images. And modern psychology, I've got nothing to guess it. They try to help you change your self-image. Back in the 70s when we got saved, there was a book out that was very popular that helped people trying to cope with themselves. And the title of the book is, I'm Okay and You're Okay. And I read it because I wasn't safe at the time. I'm trying to find something because I knew I, I, didn't, I didn't like myself. I had a terrible self-image. The problem was it was justified. And this book sounded great. But what I realized when I finished reading the book is what the book basically says is we're all going to pretend we're okay. It's kind of like the story of the emperor's clothing. The emperor wasn't wearing any clothing, but nobody ever said he didn't. So it was as if he had clothing on until one boy, a little boy stood up and said, hey, he doesn't have any clothes on. Oh, don't say that. And so the basis of this was book, this, and it, was a, it became kind of a, a, a modern-day philosophy, and it's got, it's got roots in other philosophies. I don't want to get into that tonight. But basically, it's pretending, you know, I've got to deal with the issue that I'm not okay, but let's all just agree we're okay. And if I say you're okay and you say I'm okay, who's going to tell us we're not okay? 
I am down inside because I know I'm not okay. And so, so what, what, the, what God does is he comes and deals with the fact that we're not okay inside. So the problem people struggle with is self-image is exactly that. They're looking at themselves. And as we've been looking at learning on Sunday morning, that's the root of all sin is self-centeredness, looking at myself. And so many Christians are trying to fix themselves by looking at themselves. And you'll never change yourself by looking at yourself. We're transformed into the image of Christ as we look at Him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We'll learn one of the principles is you become and want to imitate what you look at and who you look at. You notice the people you hang out with, you tend to want to be like them. That's why Proverbs talks so much to young men about be careful who you hang out with because you're going to want to be like them. But that works in the positive too. You keep your eyes on Jesus and you're going to want to be more and more like Him. Then you'll discover you really are because you're looking in a mirror. In fact, Colossians, or 2 Corinthians 4 says we're transformed from one level of glory into another as we work into Him, as we look into Him. Uh, James writes, he says that, you know, that, that we're, uh, when we when we when we're, when we read the word, but we're not doers of the word, we're like somebody that looks into a mirror and forgets what they were like. You look in a mirror and you forget what you're like. I don't look at that picture very often because it means remember what I used to look like when I had more hair and it was a different color. And I've noticed since then a lot of things that went used to be north in that picture went south. I've got lines I didn't have. I got chins I didn't have. You know, it's just, it just, uh, it, it's a, it, you know. So, but any mirror you look in is just going to reflect back to you what you put in front of it. But this mirror, when you look into this mirror, this mirror has the power to change you into the image that's in the mirror instead of you refl- ch- telling the mirror what the image is. And so the problem is a self-image. We need to learn to have a Jesus image. And that happens by renewing our minds. So we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight just looking at some things the Bible says of God's vision of you. Not your vision of you. Not what you think of you. Not what you think of each other. What God says about you. And that's our starting point for, for this process of learning to renew our mind. Part of the basis of this, we took, looked at this the first night. I don't want to, don't turn there. But Isaiah 55, Paul, uh, Isaiah writes... For my thoughts are not, God writes through him, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as 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 high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God's thoughts towards you are not your thoughts towards you until you've renewed your mind to think the same thoughts towards you that God has towards you. And the thoughts that God has towards you are higher, they're better thoughts than your thoughts towards you. So we need to learn to change our thinking about ourselves and we're going to learn in a minute to change our thinking about one another because God's thoughts about your spouse are different than your thoughts about your spouse and they're higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts about your nasty boss are different than your thoughts about your nasty boss, especially if you work here. (laughs) God's thoughts about people are not your thoughts until you learn to think His thoughts about people. Psalm 139 talks about God's thoughts towards us are more numerous than the sands on the sea. A couple of examples of this. In the book of Judges, God calls a teenage boy Gideon, calls him to be the deliverer, the the judge, that delivers Israel from the next attack of the Midianites who were coming through 
periodically in waves just to take all their grain, to take all their possessions, and to just destroy them. And God chooses this young man, and where he finds him is hiding down in a wine press, scared that they're going to come through again. God takes this teenage boy from the least of the families of Israel at the time, and he's calling him to be their deliverer, to lead a mighty army. And he's hiding in a wine press. And an angel appears to him and says, Hail, mighty man of valor. Now, I don't know exactly what through Wayne Gideon's mind. We know some because he began to come up with reasonings and excuses just like you and I do when God gives us something to do. But I'm sure what went through his mind is, Who? And looking around to see if there must be somebody else in here. But see, God calls things that be not as though they were. God speaks what He wants, not what He sees. God created this universe not because He saw something and described it. He saw nothing and He called what He wanted into being and He does that with you and me. It's His creative power. So He calls Gideon what He's called him to be. He calls him that now. Abraham, God called him to be the father of many nations. The name he originally had was Abram, which means exalted father. And in Genesis 17, when God really enters into the fullness of this covenant that we've talked about, God says, as for me, from my side of this deal, I have made you a father of many nations. So he called Abraham how he saw him before Abraham had a child or the capability of having a child. Not only that, when Abraham falters with it, God says, come here, Abe. He says, come on out here. It's dark. He says, look up at the stars. And I imagine the Milky Way was out there. And he says, just get lost. See the number of the stars. And Have you ever seen them on a desert or out on the beach some night when there are no lights around you and it's a clear night? I mean, it's just an, all the stars are just awesome in their numbers. And he's out there, wow, whoa. God says, so shall your descendants be. And he doesn't have one child, and he's not capable of having a child. His wife's barren. They're both too old. God calls things that be not. God's thoughts towards Abraham were infinitely bigger than Abraham's thoughts towards himself. God saw us every time we had a a baby dedication Sunday. And I get so excited whenever we do that because what goes off in me is we don't know the potential that's in that child. When you see children in children's ministry, when you look at your children, don't look at them as they are. Don't look at them as three-year-old and five-year-old with, you know, peanut butter all over them and things like that. God doesn't see them that way. And by the way, don't forget that in God's eyes, we're still children also. We're not quite so sophisticated. We may think we are with one another, but God looks at us and we're not all that sophisticated in His eyes either. We're still the children of God. And that's comforting to me. That's comforting to me. God sees the potential that's in that child. And He speaks to the potential. We need to learn to do that, to speak to the potential in a child. You're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. The potential that's in that. We used to do that, especially with our older children. We, didn't, we weren't saved and didn't know. With our younger children, we sit around the dining room table and talk about what God, God has a destiny for you. God has a purpose for your life. God has chosen you before you were born with a purpose for your life. You begin to speak that into children. Speak that even into your... Speak that even to yourself. 
we're talking about God's thoughts towards us are not our thoughts towards us. They're higher than our thoughts towards us. Joshua is another example. The book of Joshua, chapter 6, the children of Israel have been led now by God, Joshua out of Israel, out of, out of the, uh, into the promised land. They've crossed, they've crossed the river back in, or into, the, into the promised land, and the first thing they run into is this huge walled city, Jericho. And Joshua comes up on the hill to decide what to do, and, and an angel appears to him, a man, a, a, a man of, of war appears to him. And the first thing he says to Joshua is, See, I have given the city into your hands. Well, if Joshua opened his eyes, it sure didn't look like the city was given into his hands. That wall was just as high before he, when he opened his eyes as it were before he closed his eyes. Nothing had changed in the natural. But the angel was speaking for God what God's thoughts were towards that city. I have given that city to you. I have given, I have given it now. I've already given As far as I'm concerned, I've given that city to you. And I want to look at that because God has some things to say about you and about me. As far as I'm concerned, God says, this is what I say about you. Now, we have to decide what Isaiah says. Whose report do you believe? Do you believe the report of your high school teachers and your you know, parents or whoever raised you and they said you'll never amount to anything? Friends of ours are in ministry. I, I don't, they, I don't, we haven't seen them anymore, but... Uh, shared with us the story they had a, four girls and a boy. And when the boy was born and got into school, they pulled him aside at the te- and they said, look, he can't, you know, he'll never really read. He's got a learning disability. This was in first grade. Uh, he, he's just never going to read. And of course, very often when that happens, you get pigeonholed. So they already move you along in a program, already assuming that you're never going to really read, you can't really speak. And uh, he just refused to believe that. He says, no, God gave that son to us and God's Word says some things about him, and I'm going to start speaking God's Word over my son. And every night, he would speak to his son, you are bright, you can read, you are a gift of God, your mind, you have the mind of Christ, your mind works well, and they would sit every night and read to the son. Before the third semester was out, this boy was reading, and by the time that that first grade was over, he was first in his class in reading. I'm not mentioning names, but there's a child in this church. The same thing happened. And I pulled a grandparent aside and I told them that story. They began to do the same thing. And that child has excelled in school when they said that child could never learn anything. The words we speak, especially when we agree with God's words, with God's words, with God's words. How God sees us. How God sees us. God sees us now as if the work were already done. And he treats us that way. Just as God saw at Abraham when he spoke to him, he says, as far as I'm concerned, you're already the father of many nations. When he called, uh, when he called Gideon, he says, oh, mighty man of valor, and he was afraid to pick up a weapon. He told Joshua, look, I've given you the city. What it says in Romans 4 is what Abraham learned to believe about God. The reason that he could believe God for that child as he, what he believed about God is God calls things into being, that God can raise the dead, and he calls things into being that never existed before. You realize who God is? He's the creative power of the universe with his words. So when God says something over you, he's not predicting something. Remember, God doesn't predict. 
God's words don't predict what's going to happen. God's words have the power to make it happen if we'll agree with Him. If we'll agree with Him. He's waiting. What do you say about it? Because God said to Abraham, as far as I'm concerned, I've made you the father of many nations. It was another year or so before he became a father. Abraham had to agree with him. So the things God says about you in his word, that he's waiting to see whether we'll agree with him or not. And when we agree with him, the power of God to make that happen in your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how educated or uneducated you are. Sometimes the education can get in our way. I don't care what side of the tracks you come from. See, that has nothing to do with what God can do in your life. In fact, my Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God specializes in taking those things that are not and making something out of them just to confound those people that were. He loves to take those things that are low and, don't, and have very much meaning and raise them up and make them something important to confound the wise. He loves to take the foolish and make them special to confound those that think they're wise. Just so we know, God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. Tonight we're here to expand Open our minds up because before you can renew it, you've got to open the windows and the doors and do a little spring cleaning. Let the fresh air of God's Word flow through it and air it out from the, from the dark dampness of the winter and of our old thinking and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God just begin to what God did with Abraham. Paint pictures. And don't let, God tell, don't let the devil tell you you're too old. I got rid of that thought a long time ago. As I said Sunday, this is a significant year for me. This year, this birthday has a zero on the end. And it doesn't bother me at all because it has nothing to do with... I've never felt better. I've never had more energy. It has nothing to do with what God can do through me. The life of God is in me. And He's in you also. All right. Okay. So God sees us now as, as, as if what He said is already done. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, this is good. I'm having fun whether you are or not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard or no one, no, no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we don't know him that way any longer. He's saying this. He said there was a time when we could understand Jesus by seeing him. We knew what color his beard was. We knew how tall he was. We knew where he was. We didn't have to pray and know, oh, I feel the Lord's presence. You could see his presence. If you weren't sure, you could touch his presence. And I'm sure if you got close enough, you could smell his own, his own personal odor on the clothing. And just, you know, you took no faith to believe that Jesus was there. He says that's what it used to be like. But it's not like that anymore. He's changed. We don't know Him the way we used to know Him by the flesh, by identifying Him by the way we look because a transformation has taken place. A change has taken place. We saw last week when we were talking about that word transformed which means to take what something's like on the inside and bring it so that it can be seen on the outside and we talked about that word as the word that was used when Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James and John and Elijah and Moses appeared and it says He was transformed in front of them 
And what that is is the real nature on the inside, the glory of God on the inside of him was released to shine out through his flesh and then out through his clothing. So his real nature showed up on the outside. He was transformed into who he was so that they could see this glory for just a little while. And Paul's saying, we don't know him that way anymore. In the Gospel of John, as you read towards the, in, the, in the Last Supper, in that last meal that they had together, there's a very poignant phrases in there where it says, and, and, and the, the apostle that loved him, which is John, wrote about himself, uh, was lying with his head on Jesus' chest. Because they didn't sit in chairs like this. They would recline like on pillows. And so they were stretched out, and John somehow was reclining with his head on Jesus' chest. A very personal, intimate scene. And then, of course, he sees him crucified. He sees him raised from the dead. He walks periodically among them until he is ultimately raised up into heaven. The next time John sees him is on the Isle of Patmos, book of Revelation, the beginning. Jesus doesn't sit down and John go lay his head back on his chest now. John describes him in this glowing vision of hair like white wool shining in the sun, snow, this, this, this white garment glowing, feet like burnished brass, this awesome figure, and he falls down. He doesn't put his head on his chest. The point is, he doesn't see him after the flesh anymore. He sees him for who he really is. Okay, you got that? Now let's go back to this verse. But therefore, he's not talking about Jesus here. From now on, we don't regard one another according to the flesh either. And here's the mistake we make. We're willing to talk about Jesus. Oh, yes, I know. I know we don't see him walking around with, you know, drab robes on. He's the vision that was in the book of Revelation. Yeah, but that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Well, what are you? Who are you if you're in Christ? Let's go to the next verse. Therefore, if any man, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. We're talking about how God sees you. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ tonight? Yes. Then the Bible says you're a new creation. Some translations say a new species of being that never existed before. When you came to Christ, just what I said, that's what that says. God reached in you by the Spirit, took your old nature out, and put a brand new nature in you. And that nature is of God. The next verse goes on to say, we have been born of God, out of God. Just as our four children were born of us, you were born of God. It's interesting because I shared with you last Sunday that Pastor Michael and Maria became grandparents again. Well, today, I passed Pastor Michael's office and his brand new grandson was resting on his chest. And his big grin and grandpa's face. So I walk in, you know, to say hello and to meet the newest member of our church. And I look down and immediately I'm trying to figure out who he looks like. And that's not strange, is it? Because our physical bodies resemble, or ought to, our parents. Sometimes we get parts from parents we don't want to get, 
And I know as I look at my pictures, if I get older and look at pictures of my father, somewhere around this age, I'm shocking how much I look more and more like him. And I never wanted to look like him, but it's not, it's not, I don't go around, how could that happen? If I look radically different, I might ask, how could that happen? Why? Because this flesh I got came from him and from my mother. When you're born of God, your spirit man is conceived and born in you just as your physical body was conceived and born of your parents. And just as your physical body has their DNA in it, your spirit man has your spiritual father's DNA in it. This is why Peter talks about that we've been given the divine nature. The problem is we still look at one another according to the flesh. We still judge one another according to the flesh. But God doesn't look at us according to the flesh. God doesn't look at Faith Christian Center and says, Wow, isn't this amazing? We've got such a great cultural mix there because He doesn't see cultures. He doesn't see sexes. He's up to date now, isn't he? <laughs> in Christ, there's no male nor female. We're all one in him. He looks at you and me and he sees what the inside person is in, his nat- in our nature. And he calls us that. And he treats us by that. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. So we're going to take a quick look now at what God sees. If I can get this thing fired up here, we've all this modern technology. Practiced this earlier. Uh-oh, what did I do with it? Here it is. looking. It's looking. It's looking. It's looking. It's looking. Bear with us. This is all new for us. Oh, oh I just found it and it went away. Here we <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Hallelujah. What God, can you see that? I want to borrow my glasses? <laughs> we're going to look at what the Bible says God has done for us, and we don't have a lot of time to do this, so we're going to go quickly through this. We'll just kind of introduce this tonight. We've just seen that God has made us a new creation. Oops. Okay, so we're new creatures in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.29. I, I, I got that in wrong. Okay. Old man's passed away. God's forgotten our past. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to them and remember their iniquities no more. He's made all things new. Let's go quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. We spent time on this uh, in the last time we went through a series. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to go down through this kind of quickly. Because I'm just going to list things. And this is our purpose for doing it this way. When I find Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual 
blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, being made no, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth and in Him. In Him we've also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who are the first to trust in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase possession. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. Here's what I want to cover for you. Let's look at some of these things. So we see that he's making us a new creation. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. He's given us all spiritual blessings. He's redeemed us. He's lavished His grace upon us. This is what He has done. It's all past tense. He has given us an inheritance in heaven. He has sealed us in Christ so that the devil can't come and take you out. That's good news right there, isn't it? His Spirit's come to dwell within us. He's taken up residence in us. He's at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And He's made us alive together with Christ. I'll get out of your way here a little bit. And if you go to Romans chapter 8, he says he's at work to make us into his image. He said, Whom he predestined, whom he, pre, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God's planned ahead of time that you and I would be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he predestined, he called. So if he's called you, you're in this category. And whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can possibly be against us? So the bottom thing is here, God is for us. So we see here, and this is just a very limited list, God's made us a new creation. He's given us every spiritual blessing that He has in heavenly places. He's held back nothing. He redeemed you from sin. He redeemed you from hell with His own precious blood. He's lavished His grace upon you according to His display, the goodness of His grace and, the, and his, his, according to His good pleasure. He's stored up an inheritance for you in heaven. And believe me, God has stuff. And I don't even think that's even talking about stuff. He's got things that you will... He's got an inheritance for you. He sealed you in Christ. He's made His Spirit to dwell within you. His own Spirit, His wisdom, His power, His life, His comforter. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send to you another comforter, a replacement for me. So whatever I was to you, 
He's going to be for you and it's better because He was with you in me. Now He'll be in you. So you don't need to find me. Wherever you go, this comforter goes. And He is a standby. The word literally means someone called alongside of you for whatever you need. He's living in you. He's made us alive together with Christ. Romans, Ephesians 2 says, We were dead in our sins and transgressions. Living according to the course of this world, under the father of disobedience. But God, verse 4 says, in order to satisfy the great love with which He loved us, when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God is for us. Now my question to you, how much of that are you experiencing? How much of what's on that left-hand column? Knowing you're a new creature. You're not dealing with the old stuff, old shame, old memories, limitations. I can't do that. I can't do this. Do you consider yourself? Are you aware of what you have, of who you are? You, it's like I shared with you before. That John D. Rockefeller, before he it was his son, before, before he would, uh, uh, when he raised his children, he made each of them work in one of his plants under a different name. So they started at the lowest level janitor in that plant under a different name. But you got to know they had a different attitude. Because they knew, although I'm wearing janitor badge today, I know my father owns this place, and someday this is mine. So it gave them a very different... You've inherited something. So whatever you're dealing with today, your perspective on your life shouldn't be what you're where you are today. You have an inheritance. Your father is the king of the kingdom, and you are his child, and you have an inheritance. You've been sealed in Christ. Don't worry about the devil, what he's doing to you. That ought to give us a confidence. We ought to walk through the day with our head high, our shoulders back, because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means two things. That means he's holding you and protecting you, but also means he's branded you in the Spirit. In the Spirit realm, you stand out obvious that you belong to God. You're a child of God. Made alive together with Christ. The question is, how much of that are we experiencing? How much of that are we experiencing? Well, that's what we're going to find out next week. This is what the course is all about. It's learning to take what's on that side and bring it over to this side. It's learning to take, because this is one of the purposes of the Word of God, is to take what, and there's so many more things we could list. I ran out of room. To take what's on that side and move it over to this side because it's not what God's potential is that anybody else can see. That's what the devil's trying to keep pressed up inside of you. That's what the devil's kind of pressure you into so that none of that stuff comes out. So that none of those victories, none of those confidences, none of those images come out of you because he's scared of you. If that comes, starts coming out of you, you won't be intimidated by him anymore. If that starts coming to the other side, other people are going to begin to see it and come to you that, as that woman I worked with out in Oklahoma, that young law- lawyer came to me and says, what is it you have I don't have? What is it about you? Something had leaked over to the other side. She could see it. Jesus says, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you'll be my witness. He didn't say to go witnessing. That's a good thing to do, but it's more effective to just be and to be his witness. You've got to have him on the right side, not just the left side. So the devil keeps pressing you 
with the cares of this world. The devil keeps pressing you to be worried and afraid so that he keeps pressing that all those things that God's promised you, all those things that God sees you as, all those things God's declared over you, just as He did over Joshua, just as He did over Gideon, just as He did over Abram and many others I could have named. God's declared those things over you and over me, but we don't declare them over ourselves. We talk about, oh, the devil's doing this, I'm defeated, I'm, you know, I don't have the money, there's no retirement, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this. We keep declassing, we keep meditating on all the principles we're going to use, the devil's having you use to keep all that bottled up inside. The good news is, it's still in there. The good news is, we're going to learn how to move it to the other side, because God is at work in you to move it from the left side to the right side, and we're going to pick up and begin to learn how to do this next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much tonight that you see things in us we don't see. And Lord, we confess to you that so much of our life, so much of our walk with you, we've been walking, looking at ourselves, thinking of ourselves, talking about ourselves in the terms that the world looks at us. Father, open the eyes of our understanding the way Paul prayed for the church. That we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. Begin to expand the understanding of our mind, to create in our minds a capacity, a willingness, a desire, a hunger to know more of how you see us. Help us to understand that this is not pride to agree with you about us because all of this has been done for us not by anything we've done or earned but all of this has been done for us by the great and amazing mercy and grace that you've lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. Father, as we learn these things and learn how to transfer them into our lives to function in our lives we'll actually become more and more humble, not more and more proud. And so as we begin this journey together, Father, strengthen us by your Spirit and our inner man that Christ may really dwell in us, not just by faith, but he may live in us, and that we were rooted and grounded in love, and we would come to know, together with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know by experience the love of God that passes understanding so that we, your church, your people, your children may be filled with all of your fullness. And your word tells us that you are well able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power of your spirit that's at work in us. Amen.